This morning's message will probably offend people. I don't get it. People get easily offended. But I like truth. I don't know. Do you guys like truth? I don't know. It's one of those things. And I like Jesus. It might be because maybe he is the truth. Right? The life. The way. Jesus told us as believers that the world's going to hate us. They hated him. And when we stand for Jesus, um, it's going to offend people. Because people like their own stuff. Their own way. They want to be right. They want to be their own king of their own kingdoms. Um, but there's a beauty that comes when we come to the scriptures and we humble ourselves knowing that the word is truth. And it's something that the, uh, the scriptures, being supernatural, do things in us. They effectively work, Thessalonians tells us, in those who believe. And that's why we're exhorted in Colossians to allow the word of Christ to richly dwell in us. And there's a blessing, like a few guys are hanging out for a whole nother, you know we're going through the exact same thing we did in the first service, <laughs> you know. But it's one of those things, you guys understand that the word of God is just good. And it does sanctify us as believers. And we have such a gift that is given. And that's why I don't get the world, how they're so easily offended at God's word when it is so good. We are his creation. He knows what we need. And we're so grateful that the grace that has found us has led us here this morning in the study of Revelation. I'm excited to get into chapter 20 with you guys. We're going to be considering the millennium. And there's a lot of questions that come around this reign of Christ one day, yet future for 1,000 years. And what does that really have to do with me here today? The word of God, guys, it's about Jesus. That's what it has to do with you and me. And we just saying that he is worthy. He's everything, guys. Especially for us as believers in him, he is our life. And what a privilege we have to be able to dive in. I had an a older brother in the Lord just thank me this morning. He says, thank you so much for just going through Revelation. Like, I've been a believer a long time, and I've never learned these things. I never understood these things. And just as we're walking through the word of God, things become clearer they make more sense the puzzle pieces are coming together more and more and it's just like wow there is a hope that's out there okay there are answers to the questions people have and we find it in his word so we're going to get into a couple technical things before we uh, jump into chapter 20 because i want to consider as we uh, continue on we looked at armageddon last week the return of christ his second coming Okay? He comes to planet earth. He kicks butt against all those that oppose him and his kingdom. We've been praying for 2,000 years, right? Thy kingdom come. Okay, Well, here, guys, it's coming. In chapter 20, we're going to consider the millennium. Okay, Millie, it's that thousand uh, annum year. So it's that golden age. It's what the dictionary would say is a utopian age, a, a good government in place, great happiness, prosperity. And we long for those things and we vote accordingly in hopes that this guy or that party will help us get there. And guys, it's not going to happen. You know, yeah, we are blessed. We've been given a lot. But what we really desire, what we really want to see, righteousness, justice, okay? No one starving in the world, <laughs> okay? No more crime, that ain't going to happen until Jesus comes, guys. And that's what we have set before us this morning. So I want to look, because there's three main views that we see today amongst Christians when it comes to the millennium, okay, that thousand-year reign of Christ. Premillennialists, do we have any of those here today? Oh, a handful of you guys. Awesome. They take the Word of God literally, in the interpretation, literally, okay? Jesus' return... Okay, he returns to earth, literally, and he reigns here for 1,000 years. Then we have those who are Christians who cling or hold to uh, what would be called post-millennialism. They believe that the church believers 
We're going to bring in this period of time known as the millennium. And that happens between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Okay? Many believe they're literally right now, right now, we are actually living in the millennium. I have a hard time with that because I read what the millennial will be like. And when I take the word of God, literally, I can't say that this is the rule and the reign of Christ. Is he in Jerusalem right now? Is the government upon his shoulders, earthly speaking right now? No. So I have a hard time with Christians who hold to that. And then there's those in the church that say that there's no millennium at all. And they call themselves a millennial. A meaning no. Uh, so no millennium, no kingdom. Okay. Literal kingdom. Jesus returns, but not in conjunction with a thousand year reign. Um, they see the chaining of Satan, which we're going to get to just in a moment here in the first few verses, uh, just as a, a symbol of Christ's victory over Satan, okay, uh, on the cross. Uh, Roman Catholics hold to this view. Reformed churches hold to this view. Um, I don't see it. The first problem is, is Satan being bound, that's the first thing that we would see and we want to look at the scriptures and that's what the word contextually is talking about here. The, uh, the other view believes that Satan was already bound when Jesus hung on the cross. That's when he was defeated and he is bound forever. Um, the apostles didn't believe it. I don't know why we the church would believe that or fall into false doctrine or teaching around that. For one, the Apostle Paul didn't think he was bound. He thought Satan was on the loose. He said, therefore, we wanted to come to you. You know, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. He wasn't bound. He was on the loose, <laughs> keeping us from being on mission and coming to minister to you guys. 1 Thessalonians 2.18. And then the first pope, Peter, right, the Apostle, um, he didn't think he was bound either. I think the Catholics should listen to their first pope. What did Peter say? Be sober, okay? <laughs> Actually, think. Be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. He's bound and he won't mess with you. Is that what Peter said? No. Pope Pete said, hey, he is walking around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, okay? He is not bound, church, Fellow believers, wake up was the heart of these apostles. We need to be aware of his schemes. So the second problem that I find with all millennials is that without the literal 1,000 year period, they will agree uh, when they come to chapter 20, you can go and read their commentaries. They agree that the angel in this chapter is literal they believe heaven is literal, that the pit is literal, that the nations are literal, the resurrections are literal, but not the thousand-year reign. I don't get it. How can you look at it and say, yes, 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 but no, the Bible doesn't really mean that. And we're going to see all six times that it comes up here in the first seven verses of this chapter. It's uh, the Greek word kylio, okay, and it means an exact number. That's what that great Greek word means. There's another Greek word that we saw back in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, 10,000 times 10,000. Myriad is the Greek word, or myriad of myriads used. But when we come to chapter 20 here, a different word is used to communicate to you and I that this is an exact number period of time and why not haven't we just been studying the tribulation from chapter 6 through 19 here in revelation that was an exact seven year period of time very very clearly taught in the scriptures so john doesn't give much detail when we read of the millennium how many of you guys have questions what is it going to be like when jesus comes i have a lot of them because the bible doesn't say a whole lot about it 
I know it will be really, 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 really good because Jesus is a really, 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 really good shepherd, right? He's going to take care of his own. And if he is here as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he is going to rule, he's going to govern this world, we know it will be good, brother and sister. I can't wait for that. So the millennium begins with people uh, here Earthly bodies, okay, they're going to be entering into it. We know a lot of people die during the tribulation, okay? Believers are going to make, a few believers are making it through the trib, and they'll enter into this millennial time. Babies are going to be born for this thousand years. Many children will be born, grow up, and live usually unusual long lives. They're going to have plenty of food. There's going to be no more war, uh, healing, of the handicapped, how do we know that? Well, John doesn't tell us, but the prophet Isaiah actually spoke to the millennium. In chapter 29, you can mark down verses 17 to 21, read that later on your own. He actually goes through some of the things that are going to happen during the millennium. So all of them will be obliged to give outward allegiance to Christ. He's here, he's ruling and reigning, okay? We... Give him our allegiance. But it's a whole other thing to give your allegiance to Christ inward. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people today who give lip service to being a Christian or to Jesus Christ, but their allegiance really isn't to him. Their allegiance is to self or another kingdom or unknowingly to the God of this age, Satan himself, who's not bound. Do you guys know that he is deceiving the nations? And do you know that if you are not a child of God, the Bible says that you are a child of Satan. And unless you have bowed the knee inwardly, you've put your faith in Christ, you've believed in your heart (laughs) that he is Lord, that he has died and rose again from the dead, okay? That's where true allegiance comes in, being born again. Because we can say outwardly, I give my allegiance, but what's going on in the heart? That's what God cares about. So, why the hundred year reign? Okay. Um, because we've been praying for 2,000 years, thy kingdom come. <laughs> and that's what happens here, guys. It's kind of exciting. And I want to hit on a, a point that's going to be made about Satan being released at the end. We'll get there in a moment. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of people have. A, you know, okay, he gets bound, but why is he released then for a short while? What's up with that? Well, as we come around this idea of the millennium, a thousand year reign, okay, thy kingdom coming, we know that a lot of prophecy is being fulfilled, okay? We read of Amos, and when he talked about the swords um, being beaten into plowshares and the nations, They're no longer going to take up sword against one another. There's going to be world peace. We also see a demonstration of how man should live on the earth because ever since uh, the first Adam (laughs) blew it, the last Adam is going to be here making everything right. You guys know earth will be like paradise once again. Our environment is falling apart. A lot of people tripping today over global warming and cutting down our forests and we see you know the west coast burning up we see the east coast getting hit you know by these radical hurricanes you know um yeah things are going to be made well again when christ returns uh things are in chaos right now um and also it's a period of rewards for god's servants especially those that get martyred during the tribulation and his further revelation of the glories of the messiah so it really reveals this deep-seated problem okay because things have fallen apart okay but there's a problem in our hearts there is sin in our nature and man's problem guys and one of the reasons why i think it's neat Um, I don't think it's neat that Satan's ever on the loose, but (laughs) him getting loose for that short time at the end of the millennium, it really shows us, hey, he's bound for a thousand years. A thousand years. We can't blame him. Because a lot of us want to blame Satan right now. You know, look at all this division. That's Satan. Part of it, he does divide. But a part of it's just our selfish human nature. It's our flesh. I want this. Well, I want that. Of course there's going to be a division right there. Well, Satan made me do it. That can't be an excuse during the millennium, right? Why? Because he's bound. 
Um, or we can't say it's the sinful environment because Jesus is going to make the millennium just like the Garden of Eden. Isn't that cool? It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. Okay, Adam and Eve, it's like <laughs> they got to deal with life without sin. Okay, it's going to be beautiful, guys. Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. Things are going to be right. No more wars. We'll be at peace with one another, loving one another. So we can't say it's the environment. Some of you guys have gone off to college and studied uh, in some of your psychology classes, B.F. Skinner, we're a byproduct of our environments. This is what's being taught to our children. Well, you know, I do this because of that. I remember several, actually, while I was up in jail, but the first time I sat down with one of the inmates up there, and he looked at me and says, Chaplain, do you know why I'm in jail? I'm like, I have no idea, you know, because I, I think they all thought, like, I checked up on them and found out what they did. I, I didn't do that ever. Like, I didn't care what they did. I just know that they need Jesus. So I wanted to go and bring truth and light to them. And I'm like, I have no idea why you're up here. He looked at me and he's, I'm up here because my dad told me my entire life that I was going to be in jail. He was blaming it on his environment. That was my upbringing. <laughs> that's what formed me, and that's what landed me here. Guys, we're not a byproduct of our environments. You can't blame mommy and daddy for taking your nookie away too soon on your sin issues. We sin because we're sinners. It's not our environment. You can have the best upbringing, the best parents of all time. You're still going to sin. You guys understand that? We have an issue that only Jesus can fix. He's the solution. So the problem really then is what? It's our own hearts. It's a heart issue, and only God can deal with that. So let's take a look at chapter 20. Okay, I wanted to give a little background, a little foundation moving into this chapter to hopefully help make a little more sense for you and I. It says in verse 1, uh, we see Satan restrained here, the angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Did you guys catch who bound Satan? It was an angel. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't one of the mighty archangels. Just an angel. Do you guys understand we give so much more power to Satan than he actually has? Do you guys know that the prophets told us that we will look upon him? And we're going to say it was you. You're the one who caused all these problems. You. Yeah. Do you guys know that he's just another created being? A fallen created being. Fallen angel. I have a hard time when people want to put Satan up there with Jesus. They're on the same level, and there's this great battle going on between good and evil. Not even close, guys. That is so unbiblical. So, we have here the Antichrist and false prophet are gone. Now Satan's bound. Life should be pretty sweet, right? But even in the best environment, guys, choices need to be made. That's why in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve had to be given a choice there. Okay. God wasn't going to force them to have relationship with him. Here, you have to live with me in paradise. You have no choice. That's not love to begin with. We know God is love. And love demands a choice. So I'm going to give you paradise. You can have all of this. You just need to believe my word. I'm giving you a choice. There's this tree. If you partake of it, you're going to fall, but that's your choice. If you don't partake of it, you can hang with me here in paradise. And the same is true today, isn't it? We all have a choice. I'm not a Calvinist, guys. We have choice. It's scriptural. You have a choice. You can receive Jesus Christ and your sins can be forgiven and you can spend eternity in paradise in heaven with God. 
or you can choose to reject him. We still have choice. Isn't that cool? And we're going to even see at the end of the millennium, people still have choice. So Christ reigns here, okay, um, in verses 4 and 6. And I saw thrones, and they who sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness in Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or the image and did not receive his mark on their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of them died of the dead, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. And blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. We get to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Isn't that pretty cool? You know? And that's what happens for everybody who chooses to follow Jesus Christ. Okay? We get to reign with him. Is that why we follow him? No. That's just one of the cool benefits of following him. Okay? We follow him because he loves us. That's why. We love him because he first loved us. You know? I remember being a son. Growing up, there were things I just wanted to do for my mom and my dad just because I loved them. I love you guys. And you're asking me to do some things as I'm growing up. I want some more freedoms and I want this. I wasn't always a good kid. I did a lot of naughty stuff. But I remember there were a lot of times where I made the choice, even though I think you're wrong, mom and dad, and this doesn't make sense, and I really want to do this, and I think I have the right to do it, just because I love you, <laughs> I'm going to do what you asked. But it's so much cooler when we think about the reality of God because he's always right, okay? His ways are way better. And when he asks something of us, it isn't to be a downer. He's doing it for our protection. He knows what's best for us. And it's so cool just when we out of love say, yeah, God, I'm going to do your way, Father, whatever you ask, you know, because I know it's coming from a place of love, true love for my well-being. And thank you for that. So, if we consider verse 5, okay, um, explains. Does any of your Bible have brackets in there in the sentence? Some translations do. Um, so, uh, when it tells us here that this, these will be part of the first resurrection, okay, there's multiple resurrections. Well, what's up with that? What are we talking about here. Well, I love that we've been studying the book of Daniel together going through this. We just did chapter 10 this week. In a couple weeks, we'll be into chapter 12. And in verse 2, Daniel, Old Testament, and you guys know that many of the Jews didn't believe in the resurrection. To this day, they don't believe in the resurrection. But here we have a prophet of God speaking about resurrections, okay? We're told in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Hey, you're dead, but you're going to rise. You're going to awake. Some to everlasting life and some to a different resurrection, that of shame and everlasting contempt. So we see that all the way back there. And here we're reading now the end of the age, the millennium. There's going to be different resurrections. What's going on? Well, let me describe or lay out this timeline for you guys. The first resurrection, considering that otherwise known in the scriptures as resurrection of life or the first resurrection or the better resurrection or resurrection of the saved. Okay, there's four stages that come around that first resurrection. You guys know that Jesus was resurrected, right? That would be the first one that we see that comes into that resurrection to life. We have the church or saints will be resurrected. Okay, same time as the rapture of the living saints. So those who've come to faith in Christ, we will be caught up with them at the rapture. That's another resurrection. We also have the tribulation saints in both uh, Jews and Gentiles in that who come to faith in Christ, that is going to be at the second coming. And also the Old Testament saints, okay, they are resurrected at the second coming. 
So that's all part of the first resurrection. And then the second resurrection, also known as the resurrection of judgment, or second resurrection, or resurrection of damnation, or the resurrection of the unsaved. Uh, One stage for that. All unbelievers, all of them that have ever lived, are going to be resurrected at the end of the thousand-year reign, at the end of the millennium. Now look at verse 7. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. See verse 3 there? He must be released for a little time. A choice is being made. 1,000 years I have been here governing, ruling, loving and serving all of humankind. Things are like the Garden of Eden. Things have been made well. There is world peace. No more war. Things are good. And now I'm going to give you a choice. And he allows Satan out for a little while to spew the lies. And are you going to believe Jesus? Are you going to want to continue on with him and his reign? Or do you want to rebel? Do you want to fight against God with me? And we see what ends up happening here. There are those that go with Satan and they come to fight against the Lord here. So people during the millennium are going to continue on with regular lives. People are going to be getting married, having babies during this time. Um, But not all will submit to Christ ultimately. You know, we want our children to submit to Christ. That's our prayer. We want them to come in relationship to know him. But our kids are our kids. They make their own choices, guys. All we can do is pray and represent. Okay? There are people that I've ministered to, people even in our own church family who grew up in a very toxic Christian home. Okay? It's one thing to come out of a toxic home that is ungodly, Christ-rejecting, and you come into the light, into a new family. That's beautiful and wonderful. But when you grow up in a toxic Christian family, that's an ugly thing. Because we were this on a Sunday morning, but when we were home, we were a total different thing. Dad treated me this way. Mom was cheating that way. And these things that go on. And let me tell you what, we all have our own choices and we can't make excuses. But we as Christians, we want to be authentic whether or not we're in church fellowship together or we're at home, we should be the same. We love Jesus here. We worship him here. We take his word seriously here. Well, guess what we do at home? We love Jesus. We worship Jesus. We take his word seriously, even at home, that our kids see our faith. Hey, this is genuine. It's not just lip service. It's not hypocritical. Now, are we perfect? No, My kids, you guys can ask them. (laughs) I'm not a perfect dad. But you guys can ask them, does your dad love Jesus? And they're going to tell you, yeah, he loves Jesus. Does your dad pray? Yeah. Does your dad share the word at home? Yeah. Okay. I don't do it perfectly here. I don't do it perfectly at home. But I love Jesus. I'm really a Christian. And in my shortcomings, when I do fall, I'm going to apologize. I've apologized to you guys before. I don't always perfectly lead. I haven't even got the word of God right every time. (laughs) And there's times, guys, that we just need to be real. But our kids need to see that. Our families need to see that. And when it's all said and done, guys, they have choice. And even if we're on fire every day of our life and doing it well, it doesn't guarantee that our kids are going to choose Jesus. Ultimately, it's their choice. And we even see that during the millennium when things are perfect. Okay, People are still going to choose to walk away. But ultimately, isn't it all boiling down to the same thing? Now, (laughs) then, (laughs) 
back then. It's always the grace of God. It's always his grace, guys. And that's what we need to be looking to. And that's why we point people to Jesus. And I love this. Um, Satan's going to try to lead this final charge against the city of God. And there's not a shot fired. Did you guys catch that? We have what? Fire coming down from heaven, right? Not one saint is harmed. Not one. Okay. Um, forget the gal's name, missionary couple. There was a family. Anyways, uh, <laughs> there was a family that flew in. Um, they wanted to do missions in uh, Central America. Um, and they went to an island that had never been evangelized before. Well, dad, husband began to do mission work going into the villages. They established a small group of believers. Most of the island was Christ rejecting. They just thought, hey, you're nuts. We want nothing uh, to do with you guys. Okay. And they became more hostile towards uh, these missionaries and the few on the island who had come to faith in Christ. And um, in that, the story goes, the husband ends up being killed by the natives there. Okay, and the wife and children decide to stay. We're going to continue to minister. Well, there was a huge hurricane that came through and hit the island. Over 80,000 people died. The missionary and the believers were all asleep, did not wake up in the middle of the storm throughout the night, not once. And they walk up, woke up to find an entire island obliterated every unbeliever dead and they slept through the storm and she's like what can that really happen i'll look into i forget the name of the missionaries um sunny do you recall no um but anyways it's so cool when you think about this okay wars <laughs> waging here believers obviously around but not one of them gets hurt and that's exactly what's going to happen here. A fireball from heaven and God doesn't miss. So here Satan is unbound to allow them to choose whether or not they're going to go along with what they've been told. So as soon as Satan's loosed here, it's right back to business for him. Deceiving people, making trouble. Um, but he doesn't have trouble finding followers, does he? Okay, Just like today, I think about how many people just ignorantly follow Satan. They don't think. You know, it's just nuts. It's just people are like, all right, <laughs> I'll believe that lie. I'll run with that. Um, he's so good at it. So he deceives. He collects recruits from all four corners of the earth here to oppose God. Okay. And people are opposing God today. Think about how many people in our country, even though 80% of us profess to be Christian, how many of us in the United States actually oppose God? Many. And that number is growing quickly, you know. Even our schooling, where our children get education today, they're opposing God. Sorry, we can't talk about the Bible. We can't pray. We can't talk about Jesus. We can't share the gospel here. We can't even tell our kids that God is creator, even though you look around and creation's everywhere, even though all the science that we've actually studied and actually is being worked out, is pointing towards intelligent design, which speaks to a creator. we got to keep lying to them and telling them there is no God. That we're just a byproduct of nothing blowing up. Evolution. And that's where we get racism from, guys. You understand that? Survival of the fittest. And that's why we're seeing such hate today. Where God's heart is, hey, I love the human race. You've all been made in my image. You all have worth because of that, and you love one another. That's what I'm asking you to do. But we can't teach and educate our kids with the heart of God, God's will, his command for mankind. And it's because we oppose God, and we're seeing more and more of it. And that's our job, guys, because we're bearers of the truth, of light. So we get to share with people. Uh, let's look at Satan's ruin in verse 10. I, I like this verse here. It tells us a little bit concerning the devil who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night for how long? Ever and ever, guys. 
So Satan's henchmen here are all consumed in verses 9 and 10 by the fire from heaven. And then Satan himself gets consumed by what? The fires of hell. So the legends about Satan being that underworld ruler, guys, that's totally unbiblical. Satan is going to be in hell to be tortured. Okay? The wrath of God is going to be upon him. He's being judged. So it's not shown as he's not shown as a ruler in hell at all, but just another tormented inmate. So if God would and could do something about evil, why hasn't he? And isn't that the big question from the unbelieving world? Yo, where is your God, Christian? If he's so good, why isn't he fixing all the evil that's all around us? Why is he allowing all this pain and suffering to go on? The argument often goes like this. If God, being all good, okay, if he is, he would destroy evil. And if God is all-powerful, he can destroy or he could destroy evil. But evil's not destroyed. Hence, there's no such God. Have you guys ever heard that argument or am I the only one that gets to hear that all the time from people? You know? And where do they get this from? They're being spoon-fed, brainwashed this stuff. They don't think. People don't think. They don't read the Bible. Because if they were here this morning reading what we're reading, you would understand the rebuttal to that. The rebuttal is, hey, God is good. That's what the Bible says. I know it's true. I can testify. I'm in a room full of people who will testify to that. But you don't care what people have to say, what is going on in their lives. I want to continue to believe my lies. So, uh, the rebuttal being, if he is all good, he will defeat evil. And if God is all-powerful, he can defeat evil. But evil is not yet defeated. Therefore, God can and he will one day defeat evil. Guys, this is that day. <laughs> this is what we're looking at. He's going to because he is good, because he is all-powerful. And the reality is we're just in a time of grace right now. Judgment should have come, but he's desiring that none should perish. And it's because of choice. We look at the sin in the world today, it's because of choice. Adam and Eve chose to rebel. Why'd they do that? I would have never done that. Yes, you would have. We all would have. It's in our nature. We want to be gods ourselves. We want to live for our own kingdoms. And that's why we continually push against the truth. That's why we make stupid arguments, excuses that aren't logical. If people would really seek the Lord, they would come to know the Lord. They would see that the word is supernatural. It's prophetic. God has said all these things. He's done all of them up to date. He's stuck into what we're facing now, the last days. All these things are not taking us by surprise because God said they would be happening very unique at this time in history. And these things that are unfolding yet future, we know are going to happen. And we know God being all good and all powerful is going to right every wrong. Okay? Evil will be done away with. But because he loves us, there is choice right now. In light of evil, what are we going to choose to do? Blame God or take some responsibility maybe? Maybe repent and cry out for mercy. And aren't you guys glad that he is merciful? Man. He'll show mercy and grace to anybody that turns to him. Anybody. So, since Lucifer's rebellion, God has permitted him to work on this earth, but he's always kept him really on a dog's chain, right? This is all you can do, buddy. <laughs> There's only a certain length to what he's allowed to do at this time. And if you consider verse 10 with me, guys, Satan's ultimate downfall here is fulfilled in a few stages. So ever since his original defiance, you guys know that he was actually a worship leader in heaven? He led the worship team, okay? Uh, but he wanted to be like the Most High. Pride filled his heart, and that was the result of his great fall, his defiance of God. And onward, his retirement plan really has been fixed ever since then. We know the prophecies that his head would be crushed by the Messiah. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're already seeing that prophesied. Isn't that crazy? 
Okay? And then the promises that we see in John 12, 31 to 33, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast down, speaking of Satan. And I, Jesus speaking, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by the death he would die. It's like, (laughs) me being crucified, this is the hope. (laughs) This is it for mankind. Man rebelled, and because I love them, I'm not just going to do away with them. I'm going to become like them, and I will become a substitute for them, and I will take their place. I will take their sin upon myself, upon the cross, and die in their place so they could be forgiven. And we know that's it because he said it and he proved it. He rose from the dead. So, this is, brings meaning to the cross. And also, considering Satan's downfall, the sentence is eternal fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. It would only be a matter of time. And then we see the decline. First, kicked out by abiding in heaven. Original pride there. Secondly, kicked out by visiting heaven. Okay, we see that in the middle of tribulation. If you go back to chapter 12, verse 9, he's done then. And he's cast into the pit here. In chapter 20, verse 2. And now in verse 10, the devil gets fired. Literally thrown into the lake of fire here. So who else shares in his fate? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then I will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Does God want to send anybody to hell? No. He's done everything to save anybody from going to hell. He gave his life. He humbled himself, became like us, gave his all so we could be forgiven and have eternal life with him in heaven. If you end up in hell, it's because you chose. I didn't have a chance or an opportunity. No. (laughs) The grace of God has appeared to all men. Titus 2, 11 and 12. All men. Creation itself testifies. But the problem is you wanted to hang on to a stupid excuse, lie, whatever, and not seek truth. Because let me tell you what, guys, and I can back this up, guaranteed, if you seek God with all your heart, you're going to find him. I can promise you that. Why? Not because I can do anything in the midst of that promise. It's because God has promised it. And let me tell you what, I haven't found a single human being yet who's sought the Lord with all their heart who has not come to faith in Jesus Christ. On the contrary, I've found people who were opposed to him, people who've been set out to disprove him, who've actually looked for the truth and found it. Wow, the Bible is legit. It is supernatural. It is all about Jesus. And hundreds, if not thousands of people I've spoken to sought the Lord and found him. The people who reject him are the ones that continually have the excuses. They want to debate. You guys know the ones I'm talking about? They're not seeking the Lord. You know when someone's actually seeking because they come to you with questions. You're a Jesus lover. You're a Christian. You believe the Bible. I'm seeking right now and I have questions. I don't want to argue. I don't want to debate. I just want to know what does God say about this? Do you have those people knocking on your door? Yeah, me neither. But the ones that do seek, the ones of you who came in, I'm just going to check out church. I want to hear the word. You began to hear. You began to take it to heart. You began to check it out. Research. How can I trust the Bible? How do I know this is true? And you eventually opened up your heart and you said, yes, Lord, and the Holy Spirit sealed you. And your eyes are open. You're like, oh boy, it is all true. (laughs) I can see. I was blind, but now I see. You are alive. You are real. You're my dad. I'm in relationship with the living God. This is the coolest thing. Why doesn't anybody else get it? Hopefully we can remember what it was like to be unregenerated, to be blind. Okay, But we all have the choice. And everybody has the choice to seek for truth. I wish more people would seek for truth. But we're, we easily settle. We want to be deceived. 
Because so many of the lies out there, they appeal to self, the flesh. Because we're a prideful people. Humble people will bow the knee and say, yes to Jesus. You're my creator. You are worthy. You are right. I'm wrong. I need you. And humility is something that should really exemplify the life of the believer. I know I've been encouraging you guys a lot over the last six months to walk in humility. This is what the world needs to see from Jesus' lovers. We don't need to be prideful. Okay, that's like Satan. That's like the world. We just need to walk like our Savior walked in humility, loving people, speaking the truth in love. That's how we're going to win the world. That's how we're going to see revival. So let's keep our eyes on him. So let's finish up. Let's talk about some judgments real quick. Then, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from those, or whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened and it is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, or each one according to his works. And the death of Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now there's a different judgment for you and I as believers. It's referred to as the Bema Seat of Christ. And those are the things that we do in the name of Christ, for Christ. And many of those things I want to encourage you guys are not going to be big things that we did in this life that we're going to remember once we're in heaven. Because once we're in heaven, we're going to just be like, What? God, this is awesome! You're going to care less about what went back on planet Earth there. Okay? It's going to be awesome. But there is going to be a judgment for us as believers. And it's going to be how we stewarded our lives for the name of Christ and in his glory in our time here on Earth. And a lot of those things we don't even know we did. There may be some big things where you went big, you stepped out in faith. Okay? Um, but I think it's going to be a lot of those little things. It's the Matthew 25 of, hey, you were thirsty and I gave you a cup of cold water. You were naked and I clothed you. You were poor. You were in prison and I went and visited you. It's just those things that we just do as believers as we walk with Jesus. Now, look, hey, look how great I am. Look at, I'm doing this for my rewards one day in heaven. You know, <laughs> that's a wrong heart. We do things because we love and we love because God first loved us. We love him, and he loves others, so we love others. It's just a natural thing, and it's beautiful, and it's going to work out, and we're going to get rewarded just for loving Jesus and loving other people. It's going to be awesome. Also, God's been speaking to my heart a lot about generosity as Christians. How does that look? So I look in the scriptures, the early church, what did they do? Hey, we have rich people that were coming to faith, and we had poor people coming to faith. What did the rich do? They sold their stuff. They had everything in common. Hey, let's take care of one another. Brother, you're hungry. Let me give you some food. You know, that's what should be going on. And that's where we as Christians, I believe, really should be stepping up. Especially as Americans, we're filthy rich. Okay? I don't care about the toys in this life. I'm not going to be able to take that stuff to heaven. Okay? What matters is seeing people one to Christ Jesus. Souls matter. That's what goes on for eternity. And man, if I can take some of the riches and the blessings I've been given to bless other people to be used about kingdom business, and how does that look? And I would encourage you guys, I've seriously been praying through a lot this last week what it looks like to be rich, what to do with the possessions, what do I need to sell, you know? That's just sitting there doing nothing. How could that be used for godly principles? And you know what's really been stirring? It's the Holy Spirit stirring me up in those ways. But I've just been studying through the scriptures when it speaks to wealth and riches. And I would encourage you guys, maybe take some time to do that. What does God say? Well, God says being rich isn't really a good thing. It's hard for rich people to get into heaven. Okay? It's a stumbling thing for us. So it's one of those things. Here we are fighting to be very, very rich. 
And she's like, wait, are there really blessings in being rich? You know? I think it's one of those things, when we are rich, we're given those riches to be generous, to really be about kingdom business, to bless other people, to love on the poor and the needy. And I think when we do that, brother and sister, we're freed up. Because I see just how nasty and how ugly it gets when we cling to our money. We can't serve two masters, right? That's another verse that comes around that. Can't do it. Can't serve money and God. And I want us to be free here at Freedom Fellowship. I don't know if you guys know that or not. I want you, my brothers and sisters, to be the freest people in the world. It's not wrong to have money, but if that money has a hold on you, if it's become an idol for you, if you're putting your hope in that, that's idolatry. That's ugly, and it's ripping you off from all that Christ has. Guys, he's got us. He's going to take care of us. We just get to love each other. It's beautiful. So that's totally sidetracked, but hey. <laughs> um, back to this. Be Messiah to Christ. What are we living for? What are we doing? Um, we get rewarded. We don't get judged. Why? Because Jesus is our judgment, right? He took our, he's not our judgment. He took our judgment upon himself. Uh, you guys can read the last few verses in 2 Corinthians 5. Lays that out beautifully, how he became sin for us, a substitution for us. In the verses just before that, talks about how we then come into a ministry as ambassadors for Christ, into a ministry of reconciliation. It's beautiful. That's what we get to do, guys. Okay, That's our part. And even 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, talk about Jesus being an advocate for us. Okay, propitiation. This is what he's done. He's taken that judgment, our condemnation, our sin upon himself. So we can't be judged for that stuff. We just get judged for the good stuff we do. But the unbeliever comes to what we're reading about here in Revelation 20, this great white throne judgment. It's a judgment of the nations. We read about that in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. But this white throne judgment involves the lost, unbelievers, okay, and follows the second resurrection, all unbelievers, otherwise known as the resurrection of condemnation. So they were judged according to their works, not to get into heaven, but to determine the degree of their punishment. So their judgment is meted out by God, not Satan. Don't misunderstand that. So this judgment is based on the books. It's objective. Every man, everything he's done is recorded. Every thought, every intent of the heart, it's all recorded. The books are there. God sees it all. Verse 13, and you can't hide from God. Do you guys know that? We can't get away with it. Your sin's going to find you out. You might think you got away with it in this life. It's going to find you out. Um, verse 13 talks about the sea, death, and Hades. It doesn't, wear, it doesn't matter when or where a person died, okay? Uh, it's, it's, yeah. The Bible's very clear. You guys know there's no reincarnation? It doesn't happen. No annihilation. Some churches are starting to teach that. Totally unbiblical, guys. So Hades, Old Testament used Sheol. New Testament used Hades for a holding cell. The soul's awaiting judgment there. Um, so this place is... A conscious punishment, okay? Not eternal destination of souls. See, when uh, translated hell in our English Bibles here, it's speaking of Gehenna, the lake of fire, usually associated with fire, like hellfire. So separated from God's presence, but not from his wrath. Okay, it's a forever judgment. Um, hell, uh, it is a witness against the righteous character of God. God is right. Do you guys know that? Some people think, well, if God is so loving, he wouldn't sell anybody to hell. No, he is just and he's fair. He is right. Sin is serious. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? Don't mess around with sin. Don't make light of it. Some of us deceive ourselves. You know? Well, I got away with that. I can get away with a little more. Can't be that bad. It's not really hurting my fellowship, my walk with the Lord. You're deceiving yourselves, guys. Okay? Don't let that little bit of leaven leaven the whole lump. Okay, I see so many brothers and sisters that have walked away. Why aren't you in fellowship anymore? 
oh, you know, I wasn't, pl- I don't know. I don't know what happened. I wasn't planning on it, but just a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more to a point, hey, I'm addicted. I'm stuck. I can't get out. I've gotten in trouble. So, um, hell also, guys, is a witness to man's responsibility. You guys all know that you're responsible. We don't get to have excuses. We don't get to blame others. We all stand before God and give our own accounts to him. So hell is also a witness to the awfulness of sin. So if we once saw sin, you know, just once, as God sees it. Okay, sin, sin. There's no greater sin than another sin. You guys know that? Sometimes we like to do that. Okay, homosexuality is sin. It's abomination. That's what the Bible says. How can you do that? That's so wrong. You guys know fornicating's wrong? Looking at pornography's wrong? Do you guys get that? Sin is sin. Okay, well, that was just a little white lie. No, lying is lying. Okay, sin is sin, guys. So if we could actually see sin, because even if it was a little white lie, do you guys know that still would have cost Jesus Christ's life? If there was only one human being who told one little white lie one time throughout all of history, do you think God would still love that one person who sinned that one little sin that's going to condemn them to hell because that's just, they broke the law of God? Do you think Jesus would still come and die for that one person? I probably think he would. Because that's just the way our God is. He loves us that much. But that's how serious sin is too. That it would cost a life. The penalty of sin is death, we are told. It is a serious thing. And I think if we saw it the way God see it, we would get a better understanding. And then we would understand why a place like hell exists. Yeah, that's nasty. Outer darkness, torment, gnashing of teeth forever and ever. Really? The fires of hell? That's a little extreme. Sin's extreme, guys. It is evil. God is holy. And we are to be holy as he is holy. So God will not lower his standards or his requirements. Well, couldn't God just slide it down a little bit? You know? Let me tell you what. If something would happen, I said this at first service, you know, if something went down with one of my kids, if if somebody did something to one of my kids... I would want them to be tried. I would want them to stand before a righteous judge who would give a right penalty. How dare you do that to one of my kids? I would want a fair judge. This person sinned against my child. I want him. I'll have to forgive him as a Christian, but (laughs) I want what is due, what is right. And aren't you guys the same way? Because we see things going on today. We see crimes being committed and we look and we see and we watch and we're just like that's not right okay i hope this person gets what's right when they go to court okay because that should not be allowed and i think when we as christians have a healthy understanding of how god sees sin and what it does because it does destroy us guys okay it will help us it's because of sin we incur guilt Guilt is a liability, a debt to be punished. So our sin brings about guilt, fault, which results in punishment, which will be the sentence and ultimately condemnation. Aren't you guys glad that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus? That's Romans chapter 8, verse 1, by the way. So Christians will not be condemned because Jesus bore our guilt, our sin, and the punishment upon the cross. That's what he did. Some people think, man, that was, that was nasty. To be tortured like that? To have nails driven in to your body through nerves? Okay, I got a little nerve tweaked in my neck that's kicking my butt. I mean, what if I was pierced with big chunks of metal? <laughs> tortured. Do you guys understand him dying and suffocating upon the cross? Yeah, that was nasty. But what he was doing, I don't think any of us can even comprehend. The weight of the world's sin, all of it, every human being, everything, he took it all upon himself. And do you guys know that literally, he didn't suffocate to death, his heart blew up. Some of you guys have heard me share that before. That's, that's when he got speared. 
the, the soldier and water came gushing out. Sorry, water doesn't come gushing out. What happened is heart had blew up. And when a heart blows up from being under such stress, okay, a huge water pocket forms around it. And that's why we saw water come out of him that day. It was stress of our sin, of all of it upon himself. That's what killed him that day on the cross. And he was willing to take all of that punishment upon himself for you and I to die in such a way. And we are exempt, brother and sister, because Jesus was judged in our place and he was taken and he's taken our hell. So, a couple of verses quick here, and we'll close. John 5.22 Sinners who reject Christ will face him. Jesus said, for the Father judges no one. Have you guys ever caught that scripture? The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. I think that's pretty cool. The one who took sin upon himself for all mankind, he will be the one who does the judging ultimately. And sinners who reject Christ will hear him say, I never knew you, depart from me. I never knew you. Those are the scariest words. There's going to be a lot of people that think they know him. I'm a Christian. But do you know him? Have you been born again? Jesus said many will Say to me in Matthew 7, 21, Lord, Lord, have we not done? It's not about what we do. It's about who he is and do you know him? John 17, 3, this is eternal life that you know God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. Do you know him? And you can't know him until you've been born again. How are you born again? You get on your knees and you repent and you cry out to Jesus to save you. You place your faith, your allegiance goes from the bad king Satan and you turn and you give your allegiance to him for all time I'm in God I want you I want to be forgiven I need forgiveness and I believe what you did on the cross has done that I believe that you died and you rose again I believe the gospel that's how a person gets saved it's not being talked into it. It's not some emotional thing that happened sometime when you were at some outreach or at a church meeting. No, it's being reasonable and seeing your need of a Savior. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against God. I need a Savior, and Jesus is the only one. I need you. And you will be born again in the Spirit of God, and your life is new. Old things pass away. All things are new. And it is beautiful and wonderful, and we have a hope a blessed hope, a blessed assurance, and we look so forward to him coming back and setting things right. It's going to be cool. Even though life's still hard, even though we still blow it, we have a Savior. We've been born again. We have a new family. We have a new identity. Our citizenship is not here anymore. It's in heaven. We're just passing through, and we're trying to bring as many people with us along the way. That's what we do. So we pray for the lost. We witness to them. And we share our faith as much as we can. So Father, help us to do it. We want to shine bright for you because you are worthy of your reward, of all your sufferings, all that you went through, that our sins could be forgiven. You did that out of love, love for each and every single human being. Thank you so much for that. God, and we would pray, Father, that you'd give us place and opportunity to share well. God, teach us to do it like you did it. Help us to walk with you, to be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. God, and for those that have maybe tuned in and have listened to today's study, God, their hearts have been being pricked by your Spirit. Lord, may they seek with all of their heart because you promise that they will find you. God, I pray that people would be stirred up. We pray for uh, just our community here, the Fox Valley, Lord, loved ones, neighbors, God, stir us up. Get us to a place that we are looking to you because we know that you have the answers to this life. God, you are the answer. We thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.
Cool. Next week, guys, we're going to be considering the new heaven and new earth. So if you want to read ahead, that'll be good. And uh, Daniel chapter 11 this Wednesday. Check it out online. God bless you guys. Love you. Youth group tonight at 532, by the way. So if you got any teens, get them here at 530 to 730. And what's really cool, did I guys tell you already that the youth group's going to be hanging out with the Apostle John for the next year? Did I tell you guys about that? I just love that. I was re I don't know if it's cut off online. It doesn't matter. But I was just rereading First uh, John this week. You know, we all know that God is omnipresent, right? Like he's everywhere. We know that. But John wrote in his gospel and specifically in his uh, letters, his epistles, that we would know, like experience fellowship with Jesus, like true experience. You guys know that. He wants us to really do life with him to really, like his manifested presence. It's not just, yeah, God's everywhere, but no, he is here. Like we get a little glimpse of that once in a while when we're together with other brothers and sisters and we're in prayer or maybe here at church as we worship. But God really wants to have fellowship with us all the time, guys, to really experience him in that. And not just in our personal relationship. I believe when that manifested presence happens, it's going to have encounters with the people that we have relationships with whether it be our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, kids that we go to school with, that can truly happen. Okay, I've had people through the years literally ask me, like, what is that? You know, And I could sense in a very real way that the manifestation of God's presence, his Holy Spirit had showed up in a powerful way. And I would be like, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's something that God wants for us, guys. But it's one of those things we can take the word of God and be exhorted and encouraged by our brother John, you know, to have that type of fellowship. So if that's speaking to your heart right now, I'd encourage you guys take some time and hang in first John this week. You'll be stirred up just, you know, by his encouragement. I just so thankful for our brothers who lived 2000 years ago and just the wisdom and clarity that they've brought into us and that we even get to have a Bible and, you know, read these things and consider these things 2,000 years later. I mean, we're blessed, guys. Do you know that? We have so much. Anyways, God bless you guys.